Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand. Turn again to the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 5. The title of today's message is Lord of All. It's taken from Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's read that text now. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, that's Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now in chapter 4, we spent several weeks as Luke put on display for us and for all readers of the New Testament, the glory of Christ and his power and authority over all of his creation. And that began in the spiritual realm. We saw Jesus thwart the temptations of Satan using the word of God. Then we saw him cast a demon out of a man in a synagogue. And then we saw him show his authority and power over human disease and the human body when he was brought home by Simon Peter, where he found Peter's mother-in-law very ill with a high fever and he rebuked the fever and this woman became well, so well that she got up and cooked lunch for everybody. Well, certainly we could continue in that theme, which was really my intent when I planned these messages months ago and add to the fact that Jesus is Lord over the spiritual realm and the physical realm. He's also Lord over nature. That includes certainly all those fish in the Sea of Galilee. But this morning, as uh, this week passed, we were having our prayer times uh, with our staff. We, as we often do, prayed for families in our church who are experiencing financial difficulties. Some are unemployed, some are having difficulty in their own businesses, and others having other problems, and, and we lift those families up in prayer weekly. And so I felt led this week to speak a word of encouragement to all of us this morning concerning personal finances. The scripture says, now it happened there in verse one. That means some unspecified period of time had passed since Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law until this moment when he's there at the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's what we know. We know that Jesus cares about us, don't we? Uh, the, The crowd was passing around him by this time, no matter how much time had passed. And by the way, Luke was not overly concerned with the chronology, but the theme of his gospel, which was the Lordship of Christ. The word had gotten out about Jesus' powerful teaching and his authority, and everywhere he went, he was followed by throngs of people. And so he comes to 
the Lake of Gennesaret, which is another way of saying the Sea of Galilee, which is about 13 miles long and seven miles wide. And don't be confused if it has several names. By the way, the street on which this church is located goes by 1709 and Golden Triangle and Keller Parkway and South Lake Parkway. It depends on what time of day it is. The Sea of Galilee was like that. Here it's called the Lake of Gennesaret. And the fishermen were washing their nets. They tended to fish at night and mend their nets during the day. And apparently this is what's happening here. And the scriptures identify these fishermen as Simon, that is Simon Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Now understand that uh, they had not been out on a pleasure cruise. They were not fishing for the joy of it. These men were businessmen. And they had gone on a trip and came back empty-handed. And I suspect one of the reasons that they were laboring extra long over their nets that morning is because they hated to go home and face their families without any money. And so this morning I want to talk about the sympathy of Christ. That's the first point in your outline. Jesus is sympathetic when we are tired and frustrated. These men have been working all night and no doubt they were tired and frustrated and here comes Jesus and is giving them fishing advice. And the last thing a professional fisherman needs when he's worked all night and not caught a fish is advice from a carpenter. And that's exactly what they got. But Jesus was not being rude, he was being sympathetic. I touched briefly on this note last week, I wanna camp on it here today. We serve a sympathetic savior. Now it's not hard for us to, to recognize the sympathy of Jesus in the tragedies of life. I got a call on Friday from one of my closest friends in ministry. He serves in another state in a small church. And he was uh, brokenhearted because a young family, a young couple in their church had had an 18 month old child that drowned and the funeral is today. And as, as we prayed and we talked, I said, remind those people that they serve a sympathetic savior. Remind them of the widow of Nain who was brokenhearted at the loss of her only son and, and Jesus was compassionate on her. But Jesus is also compassionate upon the poor and the downcast, the religiously oppressed and the sick. And I would add to that, he is compassionate for those of you who are going through financial struggles. Let me remind you again that, that Peter and his brother and his two partners, James and John, were, were businessmen. This was a financial crisis primarily they were dealing with. It was not just a run of bad luck. Listen, there are many in our church right now who are unemployed. Some are young men with multiple children in their home. And you need to know that Jesus is sympathetic. There's a tremendous amount of pressure when other people in this world depend on you for their food, clothing, and shelter. And when you're out of work, it can lead to anxiety and depression. And your church family prays for you. And we want to come alongside you and undergird you. And there are some things that all of us need to be reminded of as it relates to our finances. That's our second point. Jesus knows what to do when we're out of ideas. Verse six says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to, speak, to break. That is when they had done what Jesus said, they'd fished all night, they had used every trick of the trade, no doubt, and they'd come up empty time and time again. And Jesus says, one more time, cast out into the deep. Jesus is omniscient. He created the fish in his omnipotence and he knows where the fish are in his omniscience. I did something about 10 days ago I haven't done in years. I went fishing. A man in our church and some of his friends invited me. They'd hired a boat up at Lake Texoma, hired a guide and they invited me to go and I went. And now this guide was good. 
As we were in the boat, I asked him how many times a year he fished that lake, and he said on average about 250 times a year. Well, he, he put the hammer down on his Evan Rude engine, and over the lake we went, and we went over to the Oklahoma side of the lake, and we pulled up next to a little point of land and began to drift down the ledge, and before you know it, we were on the fish. And in just a few hours, all of us in the boat had our legal limit, and it was a lot of fun, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But what I took from that, it's good to have someone in the boat who knows where the fish are. And Jesus is in our boat and he knows where the fish are. It's also important to note here that the fish didn't just jump in the boat and catch themselves. They had to do what they always did. They had to put out into the deep and they had to put down their nets. They, they gave the effort, but Jesus knew where the fish were. And Peter and the others, though they were tired and frustrated, Jesus called them to obedience. And you may be tired and frustrated and just done. Jesus still calls you to obedience as he does all of us. Verse 4 says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for the catch. Now, I'm sure there have been some very profound sermons in the last 2,000 years preached on that one verse, put out into the deep water. And you probably can think of some wonderful quotation you've heard from that verse. But I, I think the application of that verse is just powerfully and plainly simple. Don't give up. These guys are ready to quit. He said, don't give up. Try it one more time. Go back out into the lake. Now, again, uh, Jesus was not a professional fisherman. They were, but they had a history with Jesus. Peter did for sure. He remembered when Jesus stood over his mother-in-law when she was uh, near to death and rebuked the fever and, and she got up. And so he refers to Jesus as master. He says, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, Peter is not brimming and bursting with enthusiasm, is he? He's tired. He says, okay, you say so. It's not going to work, but you say so. I'll go. And they go. And by the way, as far as I can tell in all the Bible, Jesus never requires perfect faith. Peter didn't have it, never did. If you read his history, I don't have it, never have. But Jesus says if we have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed there is, that we can move mountains. He did have enough faith to be obedient to the Lord, even though it was imperfect faith. Jesus calls to that obedience. Fourthly, Jesus leads us as we trust in him. Verse seven, so they signal to their partners. I get the picture. They, fill up their nets. They're about to the point of breaking. They wave to land to James and John and say, you guys come out and share in this. And they come out and their boats are so filled that they begin to sink. Jesus leads us as we trust in him when we do what he says. Young people, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. That's what your parents have been praying for you for 18 years. That you would trust in the Lord and, and not yourselves and, and not what you learn in school. As wonderful as those things are, trust in the Lord. He'll lead you in the right path. Now, as it relates to finances, I, I think Christians tend to make two mistakes, both on the extremes as it relates to money. The first extreme is some people believe that it is not spiritual to think or talk about money. That money's bad and finances 
are, are not the concern of God. And so we should just not talk about them and just ignore them. In fact, think of them as, as evil. That's not right. On the other extreme are those Christians who are obsessed about money. And that's all they think about. And they think all of Christianity is God giving you every fantasy you ever had as it relates to your finances. That's not right either. Now, do you remember a few years ago that there was a, a man who took a little obscure passage of the Old Testament about a man named Jabez and he wrote a little book and he made millions of dollars on this little book because he recognized that a lot of Christians like this extreme. God wants me healthy and wealthy all the time and I need a Bible verse to prove that. And uh, there are all kinds of merchandise that came out of that little prayer. But I, I wondered at the time and I wondered today as I look back on that, why didn't he choose another verse of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 30, verse eight, which is a prayer of a man named Agur. And Agur prayed this to God, keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. He recognized the reality that all of us have is that we need food, clothing, and shelter, and money is the way we get that. And so since God loves us, he's concerned for that. But on the other hand, he doesn't want us to obsess over money so that we forget about him. So he says, Lord, put me somewhere in the middle. Don't give me too little that I tend to shame your name and do things that are illegal. And then on the other hand, don't give me so much that I forget about you and get full of myself. Just help me meet my needs. But Peter's response to this catch is very telling. Now, when we caught our limit of bass the other day, we immediately began to take pictures and to send them to all of our friends to announce what great fishermen we were. Peter didn't do that. He didn't do backflips. In fact, just the opposite. Look what he says. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You'd think it would be shouting and singing, but instead it was fear. This is not the only time we see this response in a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Matthew chapter 8, 23, just listen. Another time that Jesus got into a boat, he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. By the way, that is the first step for the Lord answering your prayer. You have to know you're in need. Now, now these young people right here are way too young to remember, but some of us in this room remember the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Not the song by Gordon Lightfoot, the real event. Back in the 70s, uh, there was a freighter ship that was taking iron ore across the Great Lakes. And against the advice of the weather authorities, this captain decided to try to make it to his home port. And the lake was a mess. It was a storm and choppy season. It got worse by the hour. And there was another boat following the Edmund Fitzgerald. And he began to notice, the captain did, that the Edmund Fitzgerald was listing to one side. And so he got on the radio and he called the captain. And he said, do you know that you're listing? He said, oh, we'll be fine. About every 10 minutes, it was getting worse by the, the minute. And so he says, no, I think you're in trouble. And, and the very last communication from the captain of the Edmund Fitzgerald, the captain says, are you going to be okay? He said, we're holding our own. And the next wave went over the bow of that ship and he went directly to the bottom of the lake. 
And everyone on the crew was lost. He would not admit the obvious, that he needed help. Well, these men didn't have that problem. They knew they were about to die. And they said, Lord, save us, for we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it was perfectly calm. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey them. They're more afraid of God in their boat than they were of a tempest on the sea. They knew that Jesus was more than a man. He was God in the flesh and scared them. And here's their first encounter with this there on the Sea of Galilee back in Luke chapter five. But, but rather than relishing in their fear, Jesus encourages them. That's our fifth point. Jesus encourages us when we were afraid. Look at verse eight. When, when Simon Peter saw that, that is the nets full and the boats beginning to sink, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. Do not fear. Is that a familiar expression in the New Testament? We see it all the time, don't we? In fact, the very announcement of Jesus' birth was accompanied by those words to the shepherds by the angels, fear not, for we bring you good news of great joy. In John chapter 14, when Jesus was announcing to his disciples that he was going to be crucified, he knew they would be afraid. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians tells the church there to be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your needs known to God. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? Is it because the threats are not real? Christians are not called to live in a Pollyannish world where we just ignore the truth all around us. The threats are real and existential. We live in a dangerous world. And by the way, an expensive world. We're not to fear not, not because the bills don't have to be paid. They do. It's because the Lord is with us. That's why we don't have to be afraid. That's why David wasn't afraid when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. He said, of course David wasn't afraid. He was a great warrior. He was the king. But he was a man. And when he wrote the 23rd Psalm, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now that was the worst thing anyone could imagine is the edge of death. But he says, even if I'm going through the worst thing a human can go through, the edge of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. I think that is the most important truth in the world is to know that the Lord is with you. Paul said it this way, if God is for us, who can stand against us? I will not fear, for thou art with me. So brothers and sisters, going through economic difficulties, unemployed, downturn in your business, be encouraged. Jesus is sympathetic with you. He cares about you. And he's with you. He's promised never to leave you or forsake you. Finally, Jesus uses us when we are humble. Jesus uses us when we are humble. Look at verse 10 at the end. Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. Now some have read that and said fishing is an unimportant thing. 
that uh, Jesus saved them from a life of drudgery, made them these great apostles. I, I don't think that's the point here at all. God is the author of work. Work is a good and a noble thing, particularly hard manual labor. A lot of people have the notion that uh, along with sickness and death and disease, work is part of sin's curse after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Now he did increase their labor, but there was work to be done. In fact, he gave them the job of tending the garden before sin entered the world. Work is a good thing and it's a gift from the Lord. And by the way, the ability to work hard with your hands is more and more lost art. And can I say something to our seniors without you moms and dads getting mad at me? Promise? College is not for everybody. I know we live in a culture around here where you're taught you have to go to college. And if that's what you want to do, Lord bless you. But here's what I tell my four kids. I will help them all I can if they want to go to college. But they have to learn to work hard. And they have to learn a skill. And without editorial, being an editor too much, in, in this generation that's coming, if you can work hard with your hands and have a skill, you can name your own job. You can do that. And so don't limit yourself. Just, just remember that. That didn't cost you anything, by the way. <laughs> Jesus uses us when we are humble. Now, he will not use a person who's prideful. The Bible is very clear about that, that he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Don't you want to be used by God? We say we do, but we know that to be used by God, we have to be humble. And Jesus used this night of fishing with no results to humble Peter. And it was the beginning process where he began to make him useful. Sometimes in God's providence, he uses circumstances that seemed negative at the time to make us more useful for his glory. And one of those means just might be unemployment. One of those means just might mean a difficult quarter in your business. These men had families. We know Peter did. He had a mother-in-law, and so he had a wife and likely children to take care of. And and we're told in the scriptures, by the way, to take care of our families. If we don't take care of our families, we're worse than an unbeliever. And I know everyone in this church wants to do that. But here's what the Bible says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The things meaning food, clothing, and shelter. Now, last Sunday, I gave us seven benefits of sickness as it relates to Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 remembers, God is able to work all things together for good for those that love Him. This morning, before we go, let me give us five benefits of financial hardship. Ready? Number one, financial hardships make us thankful when, when times are good. Can anyone say amen to that? If you've ever gone through a financial downturn, I have. When things level back out and you're fully employed again, you're thankful for your job. You're thankful for that income. You're thankful for your house and your means of transportation. Secondly, another benefit of financial hardship is it teaches us the difference between needs and wants. I have noticed that people today have a very difficult time discerning between those two things. The Bible says our God shall supply all our needs. He doesn't say he'll give us all of our luxuries or all of our wants. 
Our needs, when you think about it, are genuinely few. And when you're having a hard time financially, you learn what those things are and the difference between the two. Thirdly, hard times financially make us more compassionate with others. Just as going through sickness and the Lord giving your health back makes you compassionate with others going through sickness. When you go through a financial hard time, you become compassionate with others who are going through similar things later. Which fourthly makes us more generous. When I went through a, a hard time economically and financially back during seminary days, when I was fully employed again, I became a much better tipper in restaurants. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm from Mississippi. Have I told you that? <laughs> and I know there's a lot of jokes told about Mississippi. 50th in per capita income every year. There's a saying in our culture, thank God for Mississippi, right? Wherever you're from, you always have somewhere you can be proud of. But, but here's what you might not know about Mississippi. Though it's 50th in almost every economic category, it's number one every year in one. You know what it is? Percentage per capita charitable giving. The people of Mississippi give more money away on average than any other state, though they make less. Do you think those two may be connected in some way? That when we have difficulties, we're compassionate for others and more generous. And finally, most importantly, financial hardships humble us so that we can be useful in God's kingdom. Meaning, for a Christian, when we view our financial hardships the right way and in the biblical way, we see that the Lord uses them to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. So thank the Lord when you're going through those difficult times because he's making you more like Jesus. But before we go, I want to leave you with this warning. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. God's people, the Israelites, have come out of Egyptian bondage, led by Moses. For 40 days they wandered in the wilderness. And finally, they're about to be led into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The hard times are over, they think. This is what God says to him through his prophet. Beware that you do not forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, what I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and my strength of my hand made this wealth. But you must remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now, young people, you're about to go out into the world, and the Lord has given you health, and he's given you good minds, and he's given you energy, and he's given you an opportunity living here in the United States of America. And it's my prayer and hope that all of you are successful that all of you do well in whatever vocation the Lord 
has called you in. But no matter what happens, no matter how well you do, if you become the wealthiest person in America, listen to me, don't forget the Lord. It is the Lord who gives you the power to get up in the morning. He gave you the good mind. He gave you the strong arm. He gave you the opportunity here. Don't forget the Lord. That's just not for high school seniors. That's for every person in this room, including me. When you make it through that difficult time and you finally land that job and you get back on your feet financially, don't forget the Lord. He's the one that did it. Give him the glory. Submit every part of your life to him, including your finances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for the encouragement that Jesus is a sympathetic Savior, not just in tragedy, but in every detail of our life. Lord, even our finances you care about. You know everything about us. And Lord, there are men and women in this church who need jobs. And Father, I pray that uh, you would open up doors of opportunity this week for some in our church who seek employment. There are others, Father, that need a change and uh, Father, need uh, additional employment. Father, we have young people about to go out in the world and get trained to start their life. And Lord, I pray that you would help them in their studies and and in their training. Now, Father, we uh, know that through difficult times, you mold us and make us and make us more useful. And for those who are going through that right now, I ask for patience and wisdom as they wait upon you. And for those of us who have gone through those days, help us to remember the lessons we learned. And Father, for some in this room who are doing incredibly well financially, I pray that our finances would never stand in the way of our relationship with you. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to have a balanced view of money. Help us to see it, Father, as a means to which we can glorify you, not to glorify our flesh. Father, I pray you do all these things for your name's sake, for your own glory. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.